Well, praise the Lord, I tell you what, it's Christmas time, and I just love the, uh, I love us to get decorated in here and have the lights and uh, the greenery and then the Christmas tree and the gifts and all that kind of stuff, and uh, you know what, it's just, it's just wonderful. I was, uh, with my daughter was over yesterday and we were watching that terrible football game yesterday, but uh uh, but I'm already over. I'm already over it, man. I tell you what, <laughs> it's just a game, right? It's just a game. But we were watching, and she started laughing about something, and I'm like, "What are you laughing at?" And she'd be watching something on her phone, and um, it was a scene where I guess some parents thought it would be a good idea to help their uh, to 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 kind of teach their unruly children a lesson. And so this guy dressed up like the Grinch who stole Christmas. <laughs> I don't know if you, has anybody seen that video where he goes in, some of y'all have, where he goes into the room and the kids are there and he grabs the presents and tears them all off and all that kind of stuff. And, and it's, it's really funny, but it's also scary because there's this poor little, little small little girl that's there and she doesn't know what's going on and she's crying and, and anyway... Uh, you know, there are some people that just want to tear up Christmas. They want to be like the Grinch. They want to just ruin it for everybody. And, um, you know, we know that Christmas, uh, Christmas is not essentially about gifts. Uh, Christmas is not essentially about eggnog and, you know, uh, or wreaths even, or things that we, uh, that are part of our tradition. It's not essentially about trees Although those things are fantastic and they're great and they add to the season. But Christmas is about the Lord coming into the world, his first advent. And uh, man, amen. And he's, he came into the world and communicated some wonderful things. And so this Christmas season, Pastor Sean and I are going to preach some messages that emphasize the gift of God to us during the Christmas season, what it means. And uh, to do that, we've taken a passage out of Luke chapter 4 to help us kind of understand the gift that has been given to us. And I want to invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and go to Luke chapter 4. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 16. So if you would, please stand with me out of reverence for God's Word, and, uh, and we'll read this passage together. Luke chapter 4, beginning with verse number 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Lord, help us to understand what it is that you would say to each one of us personally through this message. 
Father, we believe that this time and this place in which we have gathered to honor you and to worship you is a time for our hearts to be open to your truth. And Father, we pray that it might be fresh and alive for each one of us. So Father, help our hearts to be in tune with your will and your word. And Father, we pray for your blessings now. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. You know, Christmas is a time when, uh, when the, 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 the message of the gospel rings loud and true. Christmas is a time where we really prioritize what should be the coming of Christ, what he's done for us, who he is, and what he, uh, what he did when he came, and all of those things. And, of course, we have all the lights, we have all the decorations, we have all the things, even the, the smells. I just love, at this time of year, we get some of those incense candles that have that wonderful smell of, you know, of greenery and stuff like that. Anybody else like that? I tell you what, that's fantastic. I love that. The thing I don't like about those kind of candles is typically you have to repaint the area the candles have been in because eventually the, you know, the ceiling and the walls get kind of tainted. But, but the bottom line is that, that it's a wonderful time of year. We all have our favorite movies that we watch, and we all have our different traditions. Some of you will you'll celebrate Christmas with your family on Christmas Eve. Some will celebrate on Christmas Day. Some will go about the process of going to one home this day and going to the next home the next day. We all have our different ideas. But the thing that remains central to our celebration of Christmas should be recognition of the advent of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And so this morning, as we read this portion of Scripture, this was Jesus' formal announcement in his hometown of his Messiahship. Now bear in mind, I want you to understand now, that Jesus has been baptized by John the Baptist. And he did that to fulfill the law, to fulfill what was fitting, because he was... Certainly he was divine, but he was also fully human, and so he submitted to human baptism, designating his commitment to the will of the Father. And then he went up into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan. And the Bible says that Satan tempted him with all manner of things, and, and he tempted him with all the riches and the, the treasure of the world. And Jesus was, uh, he was victorious, and he quoted scripture back to Satan, and he said, Satan be gone, and the Bible says that angels came and ministered to Jesus in that moment. And so Jesus has had this incredible act of obedience in baptism, and then he's followed that up with an act of obedience in going up into the wilderness. The Spirit led him to the wilderness, and then he withstood the temptation of the tempter himself, victorious, and now he comes and comes back down and he does ministry, and then he goes to his hometown where he is about to make an astonishing statement. It's interesting, too, because the Bible tells us that it was his custom to be in the synagogue on the Sabbath. You think about that for just a moment. From the time that Jesus was born and his his family carried him to the temple, and, and from the time he was able to, he was in he was in church, if you will. He was in the synagogue on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. It was a regular custom for him. It was to fulfill the, the calling of God on his life. It should be a regular custom in our lives, too. It should teach us that church is important. 
that God expects us to be in worship every week. Certainly every day we have private times of worship, but, but when we can, if at all possible, we should gather with God's people for corporate worship. And the Bible tells us that when he was here, he read this passage that corresponds to the book of Isaiah. If you have your Bible out before you right now, go over to Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah chapter 61, the prophet Isaiah who makes a prophetic statement about the Messiah who will come. And I have to tell you that on that day, when the leader of the synagogue handed Jesus the scroll to read, Jesus found the exact passage that was fitting for that day. And the reason I share this with you is because I believe that every time a preacher stands up to preach, he should have an unction and a leading of God that this is God's word for these people today. This is why I think it's important that that pastors don't rely on somebody else's work, so to speak, to preach their sermons. This is why I struggle with the idea of trying to, you know, to get so far ahead that I'm, you know, months ahead. And, of course, I, I just have that, that, and maybe it's not a good thing. I don't know. You can be the judge of that. But I feel like when I stand in the pulpit, this is what God is telling me to teach and preach today. And so Jesus took the scroll, and the Bible literally says he turned to that portion of Isaiah, and he read. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of of the prison to those who were bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. Now notice that when Jesus read this passage in Luke chapter 4, he stopped and he did not complete verse what we have as verse number 2 because he failed to mention the day of the vengeance of our God. And the reason he did that is because he came not to exercise vengeance on the sinful and sinners and unrepentant uh, you know, sinners. He came to offer grace. And the Bible says that he spoke those words and everybody's eyes were fixed on him. And then if you look at verse number 21 in Luke chapter 4, Go back to Luke 4. Look what he says next. And this is the part that would have really spoken to those in the synagogue. They knew that Isaiah 61 was a prophecy of the Messiah. And in verse 21, And he began to say to them, Today, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And the people marveled. Obviously, the Son of God reading the inspired scripture that he himself had inspired the prophet Isaiah to write. It was 
an incredible thing. But Jesus goes on here, and then he, he speaks some words that bring anger to the people. They, are, not all, they were marveling at him. They'd heard about him, but now they were marveling about him. And then he, he said some things in the following verses that led them to a place of anger. And they gathered together. They wanted to throw him off of the cliff of the hill on which the town was built. But the Bible says that he, he got away. He went through them. So as we look at this passage, it's an incredible passage. And in this passage, Jesus is very clear about his Messiahship. Some people say, well, Jesus didn't really believe he was a Messiah. Yes, he did. He claimed it right away. He knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what was to come. He knew that he would be the suffering servant of Isaiah chapter 53. And he, 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 he spoke it very plainly and very boldly. And this is why... Many in that community, the religious leaders, this is why they wanted to put him to death. Because he claimed to be the Messiah, the Son of God. But let me tell you some things, just some, some things about this passage that stand out that help us to understand what this season is all about. First of all, I want you to notice the scripture says that when he read this and he claimed that it was fulfilled in him, he said in verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus claimed that he was the anointed Messiah. He made that plain. And because of that, his life transformed millions, indeed billions throughout history. I think it's important for us to understand, and this word that's used here for, for uh, the good news uh, it, it is a word that refers specifically to the gospel in Jesus Christ, salvation in Christ, and the opportunity that we have. It's good news. It, you know, there are some people that when they call you up, or some people when they text you, or some people that, uh, you know, they come across you, sometimes you're thinking, uh-oh, this is not going to be good. You ever had somebody like that? I mean, let's just be honest. It happens, right? Because, you know, you're used to, you're accustomed to that coming. But, but Jesus came to proclaim good news. And, and we, should be, we should be looking forward to what he has to say. And, and let me just share with you that, that since you are, and I, I may, maybe I'm making a presumption here. But I would say this morning that most of us who are in here have already received the Lord as our Savior. And He's doing a work of transformation in our lives. He's, we're not perfect. We never claim to be. But He's changing us. We're beginning to see things like Christ sees things. We, we have an urgency and a desire in our heart to do the right thing, even when we... We're tempted. We, we know what right and wrong is, and, and we want to we want to we want to preach good news. We want to talk about the goodness of God, and we want to live for Him. And, and this is what I think is so vital for us today. As Jesus prioritized the good news to proclaim, so we also should prioritize that good news. You know, the Bible tells us that God's gift to us was a Messiah who preaches good news. And because of that, we realize that when people understand, and, and when the good news is realized in an existential, 
a personal way, when we experience the good news, it's experienced because somebody has prioritized the gospel message in their life. Not just in their words, but in their deeds. Not just in their uh, brushing their teeth in the morning and brushing their tongue so their breath smells good. Okay, I'm being facetious. I'm trying to be funny. It didn't work. I apologize. But your life, your life in this world is such that people know that God is in your life. And it's attractive to them. You've prioritized the good news. You have made it an important thing in your life to gather regularly for worship, to read your Bible, to pray for others. I can't tell you the number of times that somebody has had a conversation with me and I said, hey, let me pray for you. And you know, it never ceases to amaze me. I mean, I pray for this person and all of a sudden, uh, many times it's like, a, it's like their, their, their face brightens. There's a, a sense of heartfelt, you know, thankfulness. You know, I was talking with a friend of mine sometime back and, and we were just talking and I would have an occasion to pray with him and pray with others in a public manner and he, just, he told me it just meant so much to him to hear me pray and I'm like, wow. You know what? I know it must be the Lord. You know? And, uh, but, but, but Jesus, his whole life, he knew exactly who he was. He came down from the mount of, of uh, from the wilderness of, of temptation. He, he, and he noticed that he stood up to read and he, he grabbed the scroll, or excuse me, he unrolled the scroll, the Bible says, and he found the place where it was written. And he spoke those words about himself. And then he said, Today, this has been pro- this this scripture has been fulfilled. Now I, I want to just share with you, um, you know, as I think about this, the people were in the were were in the synagogue and and they heard the word of of the messiahship of Christ and they did that first of all because Jesus had made it a priority in his heart. The reason I say that is because if you will make this Christmas season and you will make your life, if you will put a priority in your heart to make sure that the gospel message, the good news of God's love and the mercy that is offered in Christ, if you will make sure that that is an important part of your life, it will ooze out and touch others. You know, I mean, there are some things about some people's lives and it just kind of oozes out. You just kind of realize it because it's an important part of their life. Um, you know, and, and, and so this is, this is an important thing for us, and, and we need to do that. And, and really, I think that, that when we begin to prioritize the truth of Christmas, it makes a difference in our, in our personal lives, but it also makes a difference in our homes. Notice that Jesus came back to his hometown. How many of us would like to go to our hometown and let everybody see who we are now? <laughs> Some of us might be afraid that we'd get back to our hometown and say, oh yeah, I remember when you did this. Oh yeah, I remember when you said this. Oh yeah, and like, oh no, I'm not going back there. No, no, no. 
Jesus went back to his hometown to Nazareth. And he went to the synagogue. He went to the church. And he proclaimed the good news. Now I want to say a couple things. First of all, in, uh, in, in Luke chapter 8, there's a, a story of a man who is possessed by many demons. And Jesus comes, he's called the Gerasene demoniac. And Jesus delivers him from these demons. And you know, I have a feeling there are a lot of people today who are, they're overwhelmed by, by demonic influence. And, and there are some people out there, I'm sure, that have demonic presence within them. I mean, how else can you account for people being willing to chop up little boys and girls so that you can change their gender? I mean, people are deceived, no doubt, but how... How vicious do you have to be to go and attack innocent families and burn their babies to death? I, don't even get me started about this stuff in the Middle East. But anyway, I, Jesus delivered this man who was, who, was, uh, who was possessed by demons. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 38, it says this. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, with Jesus. Okay? He got delivered. These demons were cast out. And of course he wanted to be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away. Wow. That sounds kind of harsh. And if we stopped reading right there, we might think so. But verse number 39, it says this. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. When you prioritize the good news of the gospel in your own heart, it touches those in your family, and it should touch those in your family. We should start in our home. We should live the Christ-like life. We should train our children and our husbands and in some cases our wives <laughs> in the instruction of the Lord. We should do our part at home. The Bible tells us that Jesus said, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Let's not neglect our homes. And Christmas ought to be a time when we prioritize and we emphasize in the heart and in the home what God has done. I want you to notice what it says in Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4. If you're a parent or a grandparent, you need to read this. Ephesians 6 verse 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. I'm not going to take time to read it, but in this passage, the Apostle Paul says, Timothy, I'm reminded of the faith that dwelt in your mother and your grandmother, and I'm convinced it dwells in you also. You see, the good news of God should be shared and modeled and celebrated in our homes. And... And, 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 you know, the reality is that, that in many cases it's only a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening affair. Excuse me, it's not even a Sunday evening affair now. 
But sometimes on Sunday morning, that's the only time. Now listen, let's give parents a break. They got a tough job, okay? And we've all been guilty. But the bottom line is that we all should make it a point to make sure that those with whom we are closest know what we believe and who we love. And, and, and they will say, well, you did this or you said this, and you'll say, absolutely right, I'm not perfect, but I still love Jesus. Amen? Aren't you glad you can love Jesus and still be a sinner? Because he loves sinners. And we want to repent of our sin every day, but praise God, he loves us and we love him and we want to walk with him. The Bible tells us that we ought to prioritize that relationship, the good news of God's love in Christ in our homes, and, and we ought to do that in our churches as well. Too many times the church decides to focus on the entertainment value of a worship service as opposed to the Word of God. Too many times the church wants to substitute good deeds for devotion and love for the Lord. Many years ago, the church went through this time when they emphasized the social gospel. In other words, they wanted to feed people. They wanted to clothe people. And there's nothing wrong with that. Those are good things. They're very good things. But the priority of church ought to be worship of God and proclamation of His truth. And even today, there are churches out there that they will host. They will host Boy Scout troops and Girl Scout troops. And they will make their facility uh, 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 available to all kinds of groups that are doing all kinds of good things. And they'll feed and they'll clothe. But when it comes to sharing the good news, proclaiming the good news, the gospel, they shy away from it and say, we don't want to talk about the blood of Jesus Christ. And I want to say, if you don't talk about the blood of Christ, then you have left your first love. You know, Jesus had something like that to say at the church in Revelation. Now, I have this against you. You left your first love. So go back and do what you used to do. Love me the way you used to love me. So Jesus, he, 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 he spoke about his mission right here. He prioritized the good news of the gospel. But secondly, there, there's something else. The good news is realized when we prioritize it in our hearts, in our homes, in our, our companionship with people, in our churches, you know, it ought to be something about uh, our walk with the Lord ought to be evident to those around us and particularly our close companions. We ought to have the freedom to share with others about our, our hope. I have a buddy of mine that I see from time to time and many years ago I, I, I shared with him the good news and, and I was in hopes that he would receive Jesus as a Messiah and I don't think he has yet. But he's a good guy, and I love him. And it's funny because every time I go over to see him, he always tells me about somebody trying to convert him to Christ. And I'm like, yes! I mean, he's open about it. And I went in to see him the other day, and I walked in, and there was a fellow that was standing there, and, and, and he, he looked at me, and we were laughing and stuff, and he said, hey, let me introduce you to so-and-so. He's been trying to win, me to, to win me to the Lord, you know? And I'm saying, amen, good job! And I had a koinonia moment with my brother in Christ right there in that place of business. And my friend who has not accepted Jesus as the Messiah yet, he's, 
He's right there witnessing all of this, and he's got a good spirit about it. And I'm praying one day he'll receive the Lord. But the point is that we, when that's a part of our lives, others see it and know it. Jesus not only prioritized in his heart, but he also emphasized the very word of God. In this passage, Jesus had a short sermon, but this sermon was with the word of God. He started... He, he spoke what the prophet said, what the people could identify with. And, you know, and, and this is, you know, some of you have worked with hot steel before. You know what it's like to heat up a piece of steel and get it to the point to where it begins to glow. And you know what it's like when that steel gets that hot, you can take a hammer or, or some utensil and you can hammer onto it and you can shape the steel the way you want to. I use that as an analogy to let you know in your life there are moments and there are times when somebody is going through the heat of a trial and in that moment the word of God can have a profound effect. This is why when we are in an opportunity to share with somebody don't minimize a crisis because in a crisis is an opportunity for you to hit somebody in an emotional way that will speak to their heart, that will get their attention. Jesus oftentimes said, let him who has ears to hear, hear. And in those moments, you may not know what exactly to say. And I don't advise that you just automatically start quoting, uh, you know, the, the, the scripture, but I do say this, in that moment, if you are with someone and the temperature is high and they are glowing in trial, if the Holy Spirit brings a verse of scripture to your mind, then you share it in love. The Holy Spirit, the author of scripture, has given us words that are living and active. Take your Bible, if you will, and go to Hebrews chapter 4 just a moment. I want you to see this. This is so powerful. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. Now, y'all got to hurry up and get there because we're running out of time, okay? Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. For the word of God is living and active, Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There are seasons in your life and my life when God's word just strikes while the iron is hot. And in that moment, you need to emphasize the word of God. In Romans chapter 10... Verses 15 through 17, the Bible says that faith, that is saving faith, that is trust in Christ to the point to where you receive him as your Savior, that that kind of faith comes by hearing the word of God. Not necessarily the word of man, but it specifically says the word of God. We have faith because God's word rings true in our heart. How many of you guys have ever heard of Kurt Cameron? Anybody here? 
Kirk Cameron is fantastic. You know what? He, he was a, a child actor. I think it was Growing Pains. I don't know. Anybody remember what his character's name was in Growing Pains? I, I don't either. But, but I know this. He was really beloved. And he was an atheist. He did not believe in God whatsoever. And one day, later on in life, this pretty girl, pretty girls, you have such an impact on guys. God has given, listen to me, when God made a male and female, he knew exactly what he needed to make in order for men to be attracted and convinced. Sometimes bad, but a lot of times good, okay? So ladies, you got it, okay? This pretty girl invited him to church, and guess what happened there? He heard the word of God, and it resonated in his heart. And this man, who was a very successful Hollywood actor, received Christ. And he today, is, uh, he today is doing tremendous work with the fireside chats, and he's the author of children's books, and he's sharing the good news of Christ. Because God worked through his word and faithful servants to share the gospel. So... Jesus, he prioritized the gospel mission, but he also, when he had the opportunity, he referred to the word of God. He used the word of God, and it it transformed many, many people. So Jesus said, okay, the Holy Spirit has anointed me. I am the Messiah. The Messiah is God's gift to us, and he came to reveal the gospel truth, to proclaim the gospel. But then there's this phrase on this verse that is, that has caused me to, I've had puzzlement over this verse. What does it mean? Because in this passage, it says that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Okay. I have a dilemma now. And my dilemma is, well, wait a minute. Does that mean if you're not materially poor that the good news is not for you? Absolutely not. The good news is for everyone. But just to cover the bases, and so you'll understand that the good news, preaching the good news to the materially poor was an identifier of the Messiah. And that's why Jesus told John the Baptist, when John the Baptist said, Hey, should we, uh, should we receive you? Are you the one we were looking for? Jesus told the disciples to go to him and tell him, tell John among other things, that the gospel is preached to the poor, okay? And so, and and as Matthew Henry has said, uh, many, and John MacArthur as well, both of those preachers and commentators have said that, that the poor of our world, and James said this too, James said the poor are, can be very rich in faith, but, but what happens is sometimes when you don't have much materially, you might be more inclined to accept that you can't do it yourself and that you need the Lord. See, this is the danger of having a lot. If you don't get it in check, you will rely on the good things of life based on the amount of resources or money you have in the bank. Now, Jesus is not saying here that people need to be poor in order order to be saved because people like Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea and many others had 
a lot of resources, okay? So that's not what it's about. But it is true that especially those who have a lot, it's dangerous for them because they can be so distracted with the things of the world. And so you just have to be aware of that. And Jesus said, you know, the love of money, not money, but the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So what was Jesus talking about here? Well, he, he, did, he did indicate that, uh, that to be materially poor might be a benefit and that the Messiah would preach to uh, the poor. And, 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 but he means something more than that. And this applies to the rich and the materially poor. And I think we kind of are better to understand this if we turn to Matthew chapter 5. So take your Bible and go to Matthew chapter 5 for just a moment. Because what Jesus indicates here is that unless you have a humble, meek spirit, you will not receive the good news. In Matthew chapter 5, It says in verse 2, And he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who have got the arrogance out of their hearts. Blessed are those who understand their spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who don't look on others with an arrogant, I'm better than you spirit. Blessed are those who recognize that we are all made in the image of God. And unless we open ourselves up to His mercy and His forgiveness, we are all in trouble. Jesus wanted us to understand that to be meek and to be poor of spirit is to not be proud and haughty, not to be superior and overbearing, but to have that sensitivity in our heart that we need the Lord. You know, Christmas time is a time when people are prone to, uh, if, if they're not believers, they're prone to get very, uh, uh, I guess, very, you know, they can be very prideful, you know, in things. And, and, and God blesses us with wealth. And we ought to enjoy that when we're able to enjoy it. And we should be very good stewards of it. Uh, God expects us to be good managers of the wealth that he has endowed us with. But notice what the scripture says. 1 Peter chapter 5. Be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud. And gives grace to the humble. Those who grow up in a home. Who do not appreciate what they have. Are people who go into the world expecting that others bow to them. And they create an environment that is unhealthy. But those who learn to appreciate that life and the gifts therein are from God and they can use those gifts to bless themselves and bless others, they create an atmosphere of generosity and they raise a family that loves others. 
Let me just share this very quickly with you. Jesus preached the gospel to the poor, the common people who loved him, and he preached the gospel to those who had a poorness, a meekness about their spirit that enabled them to really hear the good news. St. Augustine was a church father. I close with this story. St. Augustine was a church father, very renowned, very well known. He was, uh, he was, he's written books, a lot of books, and, and, and he wrote a book called Confessions. And in Confessions, St. Augustine talked about his life. He was, he was a wild man for a while. He was out there in the world doing all kind of crazy things, things that we don't like to talk about. He was in a different religion that was really crazy, Manichaeism. And St. Augustine confessed that the greatest barrier for him to coming to Christ was his pride. He said he was proud about his intellect. He was smarter than everyone else. He was proud about his wealth. He was proud about his family, heritage. But one day, St. Augustine fell before, his, fell before the Lord on his knees and cried out because of his spiritual poverty. And God changed his life. The poor, the meek, they're the ones whom the gospel connects with. And I want to encourage you this Christmas season to make sure you remember that this is a ripe time to prioritize the gospel in your life, to prioritize the word of God in your life, and to remember that when you connect with someone that indicates a little bit of humility, they may just be ripe to receive the Lord. It might change their life, but certainly it will bless yours for sharing it. We're, our praise band is going to come out, and they're going to lead us in a time of decision right now. And, you know, as we stand and we sing this song of worship, I want to encourage you to decide right now for God, whatever it might be. Maybe, maybe you just want to come up here and pray. We prayed for a family this morning that was struggling. I want to pray for you. And maybe this morning you need to recommit yourself to the Lord. Maybe you need to say no to these, some of these things and say yes to God in all of these things because God wants to bless you for you to realize the gift that he has given. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. And Lord, help us. Help us, Lord God, to walk with you and to understand our relationship with you. And Lord God, give us a spirit of humility that we might be filled with your spirit that we might know the good news in a personal way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood and our ministries, you can go to our website, fbcwildwood.org, our Facebook page, First Baptist Church of Wildwood, or our Instagram page, FB Wildwood. Have a great Jesus-filled day.